Well, good evening and uh, welcome back to Lansing Tab. If you were with us this morning, it's good to have you with us again on this Palm Sunday. In just a minute or two, I'm going to continue reading from Mark's Gospel, chapter 14, and you may like to follow along with that. And then Richard will come and we'll pick up that chapter as well. So, I'm going to turn now to uh, chapter 14 of Mark's Gospel, and I'm going to read uh, on from where we left off this morning, from verse 32. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that, if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough, the hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus, and when they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. They took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, elders and teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest, and there he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could find that they could put him to death 
but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this man-made temple and in three days will build another not made by man. Yet even their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him struck him with their fists and said, Prophesy! And the guards took him and beat him. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene, Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said and went out into the entrance. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. He began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately, the cock crowed the second time. And Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. For the cock crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. Well now, we'll pray for Richard as he comes to speak to us. Lord, thank you for these words that have been recorded for us by your Holy Spirit and through Mark. We thank you for the insight that this gives us into this key work, this key week in Earth's history. And we pray that as Richard comes to speak to us now, you would bless him and help him and that we would hear your voice through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Hello, welcome to the evening service at Lansing Tabernacle, where we're sharing the Word of God and we're sharing into Mark's Gospel, chapter 14. We do thank God for every member of the church and for those of you who are watching, uh, whether you're part of Lansing Tab or not, we welcome you to look again at the Word of God and the passage that Roland read to us, the second half of Mark chapter 14. In the first half of chapter 14, we see 
the events begin to unfold that will lead to Jesus going into the Garden of Gethsemane. There is that incredible anointing by Mary of Bethany. There is that act of betrayal as Judas goes and does his deal with the chief priests. There is that momentous occasion where Jesus, as it were, interrupts the traditional Passover meal by uh, sharing the bread and the wine and speaking of the fact that they are symbols of a new covenant, a new agreement, which will allow men and women to be accepted, not because they've kept the law of God, because none of us do, but because we put our faith in Jesus, who did keep the law of God, and we've truly repented of our sins, and we've acknowledged him to be Saviour and Lord. After these events, Jesus takes the relatively short journey into the Garden of Gethsemane. And we know that Jesus is going there for the specific purpose of prayer. He takes the disciples with him because it's important that they are together with him at this time. Uh, it's important to Jesus and it's important to them to, to witness the way that things are going to unfold and later they will understand perhaps in a far deeper way than they do at this moment of time quite what's going on. Now going into the Garden of Gethsemane there's as it were the outside of the garden and the outer circle but going deeper into the garden it's Peter, James and John who are given the privilege of getting that much nearer to Jesus as he is praying. And when you hear someone pray, you don't just hear words, you hear the heart and spirit of somebody. That's something which I, I found very valuable as one uh, meets people, have people want to work with you, to associate with you in whatever way, and often I've said, let's pray together. And one of the reasons for that is really what I've just said, that Hearing someone pray, you often hear something deeper than just the physical language and words, but you begin to sense someone's heart and spirit. And the disciples, they would have heard Jesus pray, of course. Uh, often he went alone to pray, but there would have been times where they were in the vicinity of prayer. But what they heard on this occasion was just so different and so absolutely intense and gripping. It, it would have uh, just been quite disturbing to them. And yet, although what I've said is true, uh, hearing him pray in anguish and crying out, uh, Father, if it's possible, let this cup be taken from me, but nevertheless, not what I want, your will be done. There's another dynamic at work. They're just absolutely worn out. And so they're aware of this anguish and yet somehow their eyelids are kind of dozy and they're almost falling asleep. In fact, they do fall asleep. So it's quite incredible how both these dynamics are at work. 
I wonder what it would have been like to have heard Jesus pray. Hebrews gives us a little insight when it talks about with strong cries. Jesus, the Son of God, is calling out to his Father. But what it's all about is the fact that the reality of what Jesus is going to do is coming to him in a massive, massive way. He's always known what was going to happen. He's not trying to get out of what's going to happen. But now, this isn't theory. This isn't just something that's going to happen in a few years' time. This is going to be tomorrow. This is going to be imminent. And we know because of the insight that we have looking back that what was on the heart of Jesus when he talks about a cup of suffering, when he talks about immense pain that he's going to endure, he's thinking far beyond what the nails will do, what the beating, the scourging will do, what the beating around of his face and other parts will do, but we believe that this is not just a physical battle, but that's big enough for what Jesus knew he was going to face. No, Jesus is aware of the spiritual battle. He's aware that he is going to become sin for us. And for Jesus, this is immense. Because you see, Jesus had never known sin. He'd never known a moment where he was separated from his Father. There was always that intimate, close, dynamic relationship between them. But we know that in these moments, when Jesus goes to the cross, he knows he will be cut off from the Father, because the Father is holy and perfect and cannot look upon sin. And consequently, when he is on the cross and when he is dying, he is becoming our sin bearer. And I can never put into words what that means. I can never describe to you in any sense of adequacy the enormity of what this is going to be for Jesus to handle. But we can be very sure it is enormous. It is great. And uh, Jesus returns to the disciples and maybe they've initially heard these cries of anguish and uh, heartfelt prayer, but as I've said, for whatever reason, they're tired, they've fallen asleep. And uh, Jesus says, watch and pray so that you'll not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here is my betrayer. What we understand and see in, in some measure is that Jesus is winning the battle. It took him three rounds of prayer because 
of the immensity of what he's handling. But he prays, he prays the second time, he prays the third time. And this is an incredible illustration of the fact that Jesus is truly, truly God. He's also truly, truly man. And the weight, the heaviness, the magnitude of what it will be to obey the Father and go to the cross and die and take our sin upon himself. Jesus is acutely aware of this. But he comes to the place where he simply says, Father, not my will, but your will be done. You know, if Jesus went through that process, as it were, to come to the place of submitting to the Father's will, when he more than anyone knew exactly what was going to happen, then how much more should we seek, Father, to bring ourselves into a place to do his will too? For us, we'll, we'll never face what Jesus faced. We may face suffering from the hands of men, we may face persecution, we may face uh, even some violence, but that will be physically. We'll never be sin bearers. Only one could bear sin. Only one could become sin for us. We can't do that because we're sinners. Jesus was perfect. He could do that. But even in the lesser challenges that we face, sometimes it's important to pray through to a place of saying, Lord, Whatever you want, I will do it. Whatever is going to happen, I will stand firm with you. And we're heading through difficult times. We know as you're watching and listening to these words, we know about coronavirus, we know about all sorts of things happening in our world at this time. But what we also need to know is that we're going to keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus and that we're going to say with all our hearts, Father, not my will, your will be done. I want to obey you. I want to be close to you. As we're going through this time, I'm hearing from friends in different parts of the world who indeed are suffering terribly. Suffering because of their faith in Jesus, suffering because their government doesn't favour Christians and will feed non-Christians, but will not, uh, sorry, yes, they will feed non-Christians, but they won't feed Christians. People can queue up for food, and if, you, if you're a Christian, you'll be told, go away, there's nothing for you. If you're not a Christian, there is something for you. That's happening. That's happening even while we speak. People are being beaten for their faith. There are parts of the world where people are suffering. They have determined in their hearts to say, Jesus, I will do whatever it takes to remain true and faithful to you. And Jesus comes through and says to the disciples, watch and pray. You see, the tempter is strong. He does want to throw us off track. He wants to distract us. He wants to frighten us, intimidate us, be a bully, push us around. But 
we will only find peace, not by ever giving in and pacifying him. You'll never pacify the devil. If you do what he says, he'll just demand more and more. Now we need to be in that place in our hearts where we say, Lord, it's your will. And Jesus goes away from that place of prayer and soon this crowd of people appear armed with swords and clubs and this is when Judas takes his moment he's going to give Jesus that kiss which is not a kiss of affection it's simply a way as I said much earlier a way of being able to identify Jesus from all the people in the garden that night and Judas goes to Jesus and kisses him and well Peter initially seems to want to defend but uh, he does it the wrong way and there's plenty of examples of people in the Bible who may have had good intentions but do things the wrong way but essentially Jesus is going to submit himself to trial and he's going to go to the cross. Now, as we move through the rest of Mark and uh, chapter 14, we, we see the beginnings of the trial in the Sanhedrin. And it's just a massively strange affair. It, it's, it's terrible. It's like saying, uh, we know what the verdict is, we know what we want to do, and now we're going to try and find some evidence to justify our verdict. That's the way they seem to look at it. Not that there was clear guilt and a clear case against Jesus. And therefore, because there's a clear case, this is the action that we take as a result of finding him guilty. No, it was the other way around. They wanted to condemn him. They wanted to declare he was guilty. And then they tried to find some evidence to back that up. And what we read is that there's confusion because the people they call to testify, some are saying one thing and some are saying something else. And any true righteous judge would see through it and throw the case out and say this is absolute nonsense. You have no case. You have no evidence. And we notice that while all of this stuff is being thrown around and all of this hatred and vitriol that's being poured out, while it's all going on, we find that Jesus remains silent. You know, that ability to remain silent is, is just amazing. He didn't justify, he didn't call out and say, look, that's not true, that's not true, and so on. Jesus just left them to it. Out of their own mouths, they were condemning themselves. They were actually giving in to self and to anger and to unrighteousness. And Jesus doesn't intervene. But then the high priest comes up with a question. Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? And at that point, Jesus gives an answer. He's not answered, as I've said till now, but he says, I am. Now, when he said, I am, that would have sort of uh, rung a lot of bells inside the 
Pharisees, the chief priests and those people because I am was the ultimate statement of who God is. I am. The great I am. The almighty I am. Jehovah, Lord God. And Jesus says, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the majesty uh, of the mighty one and of coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus is simply stating a fact that a day will come. Yes, he will go through death. He will rise from the dead. He will ascend to heaven. And a day will come when every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everyone will recognise him then. We have the chance to recognise him now. But what they did rather than recognise him, it just filled them with more intensity to condemn Jesus to death. And it's at this point that they begin to ridicule him, it's this point they begin to spit on him, it's this point they begin to beat him, it's this point then, uh, as they're beating him, they're telling him to prophesy, who hit you and all of that. Shameful, just so evil, the way they're treating the precious Lamb of God. But Mark concludes the chapter taking us outside, as it were, the courtroom of this absolute sham of a trial that's starting to unfold and it's going to develop, there's going to be far more for Jesus to face. But uh, the writer takes us outside and in the courtyard there's again a handful of people and one of the people is Peter. And uh, he's warming himself by a fire. And as he's warming himself, what we notice, what we see, is that there are people starting to look at him and beginning just to have that curiosity. I think we've seen this guy before. In fact, I'm sure we've seen him before. And then the, the provocation comes and the servant girl, she says, you were with that Nazarene. Jesus. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about. And the servant girl again, this fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. And they say, but you're a Galilean. And again, he denies it. And what Jesus prophesied about Peter's denial comes horribly true. The cock crows and in the heart of Peter the Peter who'd been so strong, so defiant. The Peter who had felt so strongly that whatever happened, he would never, ever forsake Jesus. He would certainly never deny that he knew Jesus. But it had happened. And the Bible says he broke down and wept. As we draw near to Easter, in a few days we will be thinking of Good Friday and the events of the cross itself. And in a few days we'll be thinking about Easter Sunday and the glorious resurrection of Jesus. But this chapter begins with a woman weeping, anointing the body of Jesus. 
in her way and mind, honouring him, blessing him, respecting him. And it ends with another man in tears because he's totally denied him. Everything he said he wouldn't do, he has now done. And he has isolated himself for Jesus, from Jesus. Whether your tears are tears of worship or tears of repentance, as we shed our tears reflecting, even upon Jesus, who shed tears in the garden. I notice there's no tears on the cross, but in the garden there's strong crying, many tears. As we approach another Easter, there are the tears, whether they're tears of adoration and worship, whether they're tears of disappointment, recognising our failure, our weakness, the things that we have done that we ought not to have done, or whether it's a simple, wonderful honouring of Jesus who shed tears but then went to the cross for us. Well, the tears are going to turn to great joy as Jesus rises from the dead. There are many tears being shed at this time in our world, but nothing can compare with the Lord Jesus Christ submitting himself to the Father's will. And I finish this message again with his precious words, Father, not my will, but your will be done. May that be in your heart and my heart. God bless you in the week to come. All of you members of Lansing Tab, we greet you and we thank God for you. Again, those who are watching, who have no direct link with us, we thank God for you. And we pray that in the midst of everything that's happening, this will be a wonderful Easter, appreciating perhaps as never before, the love that Jesus has for us. God bless you.